1: been a while welcome back to the full throttle podcast from eurosport episode 93 and the start of season four this is the podcast that existed before the lockdown james whittam and me greg haynes with you we're in the commentary box we've just gone off air on eurosport 2 and the eurosport app for the opening round of the season for the 2021 superbike world championship and a real mix in emotions james i think across the race weekend for everybody in the paddock but first of all how are you? Have you had a good winter?
2: Yeah, good. Yeah, I with all the, the sort of uh, silliness and restrictions quite well, I think. Um, it's been difficult for everybody, but I think we've coped uh, pretty well up there at Huddersfield International Airport. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're all right. And I know a lot of people have had it a lot worse than, than we have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy.
1: There's a real sense of purpose in life again now, isn't it? I suppose more so for us, perhaps because the season's finished. But uh, in general, it feels like things are just about starting to get back to normal. A little bit of
2: at the end of the tunnel, I think. And it's good to get back to the racing and start seeing the people that you get on with and you, you, you like working with. So, yeah, it's um,
1: we're all right. Just a few quick-fire questions first. Give me a yes or a no to these. Was it all about Jonathan Ray and Scott Redding fighting for the t- title this year before the season started? Yes or no? Ah, uh, yes, I think so. I think so as well. Is Jonathan Ray still the favourite after Aragon? Yes. What are they going to have to do to beat him then? That's not a yes or a no, obviously, but what are they going to have to do to beat him? Up the game slightly. I mean, you know, I said
2: it before and I still stand by it. Uh, to beat Jonathan Ray in a race you maybe choose a uh, better tyre choice or, you know, you make the most of a condition. Uh, it's possible. But to beat him over a season, when he, did, he and the team, we've said it before, it's getting boring. They just don't make that many mistakes. Mostly that's out of Jonathan, I, I feel. Uh, but the team's good. Uh, the Kawasaki team don't have any other major championship to compete in at world level. So this is an important one for them. The World Championship is there. They sort of showcase their shop window in terms of international racing and um, put a
1: lot of effort in and they don't get much wrong. We must start with Jonathan Ray because he achieved his 100th career victory on Saturday and then made it 101 in the sprint race on Sunday morning. That is absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? As a sporting achievement, not just in motorcycle racing or motor racing, but sports sport. in general. That is amazing, isn't it?
2: Yep, it's completely dominated the uh, championship now for the last forever. Um, and for me, there's nothing really that I can spot in his makeup and his approach and his aggression and his determination that's going to stop him, you know, having the chance to nom- to dominate for the next three or four years. Um, it, it's an amazing thing, and and that's that of Johnny. You know, you can even when he was riding the Honda, that was less competitive when he had it, the Tenkata bike. There were times when he rode the wheels off that thing. It was magical to watch. I remember um, one year at, at Assen, and it was just fantastic. I mean, just just lovely to watch. The man can ride a bike right to the limit. When you've, I do feel that sometimes when you're watching a rider do that, you've got to have ridden a bike to a reasonable level to actually understand what he's doing. You know, and and, and it, was, it was magical. So, yeah, it's mostly that Jonathan is at.
1: 101 wins now, 15 of them with Honda. 86 now, of course, with Kawasaki. There was a lovely video that was produced by Dorner and sent out to all of their broadcasters. It's been all over social media as well, certainly on Eurosport and our program on Sunday. So many tributes. It was clearly a video that had been recorded last year, wasn't it? Um, because he could well have done the hundreds before the end of last season, but had a, a bit of a strange weekend at Estoril back in October. But to see the, the delight, and people are so pleased from aren't they? We saw tributes there from, from Fogarty, from Rossi, Agostini, Lewis Hamilton. Neil Hodgson, I mean, loads, that's just naming a few, but not just for motor racing, yeah, cycling. Just say, exactly. also just course. from the,
2: the world of motorsport. We had uh, top cyclists. We had a couple of footballers in there, the, the captain of the Northern Irish football
1: team. And yeah. you know, it was, it was really nice to see yeah, that. Yeah, really, really nice to see. And I think it must be remembered, you know, the contribution, Jonathan Ray, you know, he's putting world Superbikes back on the map, I think it's fair to say, compared to, you know, the premiership football, let's say, or Formula One, Car racing—they're massive. Motor racing is big, but most things now these days, sport in general, is on pay TV. Great, we've got the bikes, of course, on Eurosport and Quest for the Superbike Championships in the UK and the World Championship. But it's great when you've got someone like that really putting it on the map. He's got an MBE. He's second in BBC Sports Personality of the Year. You know, he met Prince William from the MBE. All these awards outside of I know dominate outside a of sport racing,
2: like he has a World Championship sport deserves what he's getting. You know. Certainly, in Northern Ireland, he's is a, is a, is a folk hero because you know, he's the dominant sportsman across any sport. Would
1: you say... Oh, here we go. <laughs> Would you say he's quite possibly the greatest British motorcycle racer of all time? It's difficult. And,
2: I, you know, I hate that kind of question because how can you compare Jonathan Ray to Barry Sheen or to uh, Phil Reed or to... Mike Aylwood, you, it's impossible. Uh, times are different, bikes are different, tyres are different. You can only compare people to their peers in their
1: time. And he uh, up fairly well in that, doesn't he? What it does mean, of course, is that there's a lot of people out there who are absolutely determined to beat him. Or might sound nasty to say this, but there's a lot of people who like to see the dominant man fail. And I think yeah. it's fair to say there are more than one person in the paddock, as you'd expect in a competitive environment, on Saturday evening thinking, oh, here we go again. Because we finished that Saturday race and I think for any neutral of the championship, we were thinking, ah, oh, we were just hoping it was going to be a closer race than that because Jonathan Ray disappeared, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he did. Uh, just, just did a, a better job of, things have changed at the beginning of this year. Lots of bikes have changed. BMW's got a, virtually a new bike. Uh, we've got Yamaha made a lot of changes to their bike. Kawasaki's got a new bike. And the big problem for all those uh, teams when they've got a lot of new t- parts to try and a new bike to try and get in the ballpark is that the amount of test days they are allowed has been capped at 10, two or three of which most teams have used already and that runs right through to the end of the season so uh, Kawasaki just did a better job of knowing when to start racing the bike they got instead of chasing a magical kind of base setting that was perfect and um, yeah, between him Uh, Jonathan Ray and the team, they did a great job. I've got to uh, doff my cap to uh, the other Kawasaki KRT rider, uh, Alex Lowe's. He did an equally good job for him. He's had a cracking start to the season. Didn't quite manage to beat his teammate,
1: but he was close and he had the pace. And that's three podium finishes for Alex Lowe's. Following a difficult off-season, let's not forget, he had a really nasty motocross crash in February, and he's had to do a load of physiotherapy in Barcelona every single day for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. So to overcome that and come back, what a psychological achievement as well as a, as a physical one.
2: Yeah, and you know, we, we saw him we with Chad with him, and he seems relaxed. You know, even before
1: the racing, it's easy to be relaxed when you've had a meeting as good as Alex has had. But what a difference though, James, because Alex used to come into the garage and smash things around at Yamaha and Suzuki before, you know, when he first came into World Super, I get really annoyed. He's so much more mature now. He's got experience. Yeah, I think on his he side. understands.
2: Yeah, I think he's, he understands the sort of long game now uh, a little bit more, and uh, speaks very well. Understands the job. Knows he's had a good weekend. Seems pretty relaxed, and more than that, seems to be enjoying his racing. It's easy to say somebody who's winning is enjoying the racing or having a good weekend, like on the track that Alex has had. But it um, just seems to be a bit more settled. I think.
1: Okay, let's go through manufacture by manufacturing with a quick uh, summary but actually before we do that I think we need to listen in don't we from Jonathan Ray because 100 race victories is something very 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 special and here's what Jonathan had to say after that great achievement for himself and for Northern Ireland on Saturday afternoon uh, it's a career landmark you know it's one of them things when I retire it's a nice round number you know to think about and uh Honestly, I've never been a stat guy. never thought about race wins or fastest laps, records. But when that hundred victory was creeping up, I started to think more and more. And it became a focus. And now we have it so early in the season, it's time to put that to bed and start to focus on building a championship. So, yeah, just so blessed to be in this position with an amazing team and family. And, uh, yeah, I feel... Incredible, right? Nice. So, thank you. I think more people appreciate just how good the guy is. We already know, but once he's retired and, you know, time's gone on and then we look back at all of these Jonathan Ray records, people are going to think, wow, yeah. he really wants good to on it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so just before that, I said, let's go through the manufacturers quickly then. Kawasaki James, Just if you can, I know we've spoken about it on the telly, but for anybody who missed the broadcast and the, he's catching up with the podcast here, Just quickly sum up what they've done on the bike. There's a lot of aero changes there, aren't there?
2: Yeah, Kawasaki, uh, lots of changes. The bike's the same layout, same geometry, uh, same weight distribution. They've made slight changes to the engine, slightly different piston, uh, trying to make the bike rev a little bit harder. Um, And most of the changes have been to the aerodynamics and especially to the front of the fairing. Uh, They haven't gone for the wing that's like most of the other manufacturers are going for now. They've gone for a ducted downforce system on either side of the big, in the middle that feeds air to the engine. Also, they've they've been really clever about where the hot air that's gone through the radiator and therefore cooled the engine is exited out the back of the bike. Uh, so that adds to the aerodynamic efficiency. They've also uh, made a slightly bigger top end to the fairing, not only to uh, house the outer ducts that, that give the downforce, but also to, to give the rider a bit of an easier time and make the bike a bit more efficient down the straight and a bit quicker. Also, if you look, there's a little chin to the front of the fairing, just above the wheel, and that's part of the, the sort of wing downforce system as well. Uh, and they've, they've done a good job, in my opinion. Certainly, they've made a bike, that, a bike that looks a bit quicker. And we're talking about a bike that's never been the quickest on track, but it's certainly one of the most efficient.
1: It seems like they've done a lot of work with electronics as well, doesn't it? You get yeah. the feeling there. Yeah. With David A. John Tiller, who, of course, came across from Yamaha. They formerly worked with Magneti Morelli I think he's as the well. man that used to work for Magneti Morelli. is a clever lad, yeah. Okay, that's Karasaki. Ducati, is the is most new on the Ducati this year? I don't think, uh, there's, n- there's nothing, being, I mean, I haven't been in the garage with
2: a, with a camera, but um, there's nothing really been posted. These teams developed the whole time and there will be parts coming through. To me, it looks a very similar bike. Certainly the exhaust pipes changed. Uh, that's, you can see that when you're watching the footage. Um, small changes, I'm sure, but nothing major that's been sort of posted in the press. Uh, that said, I still think, the bike, even though, from what the riders are saying, certainly from what we hear uh, from Chas Davison, from Scott Redding, the bike is um, finicky about what conditions it likes, what grip level it's like, it's li- it likes and what tyres it can make work. Um, it's
1: still a good bike. That is still an efficient and fast bike to me. It seemed like Scott Redding was quite confused and he admitted it himself on Saturday. And last year, our bike was really good in the hot conditions. And if we remember Jerez, he did a double. Portimao was a new track for him, but he was solid there. And then he said it's almost as though it's gone the other way this year. Yeah, he
2: doesn't like the way, he doesn't like the warm temperatures. He doesn't like the, the, the feeling from the bike in the warmer temperatures. And uh,
1: why yeah, would I mean, that happen then? Why would that happen? Why can a bike be so good in, in the. That's what I'm saying, that the bike
2: seems really sensitive to setup. Changes and if uh, if what they said last year is the case, it's sensitive to uh, rider weight and rider position and and and, you know they were saying that the the eight or nine kilos difference in rider weight makes a massive difference how the bike uses a tyre. So you know I think we can take from that that the bike's fairly sensitive.
1: I think it's fair to say relief was the overriding emotion for Scott Redding, who came through and won the third of the three races on Sunday. Yeah, mainly thanks to a really brave tyre choice. He'd made a mess of the tyre
2: choice in the sprint race and got it wrong, put wets on when nobody else had wets on, suffered because of it, uh, managed to get the bike to the finish fairly well, uh, but knew he'd made a mistake and was still prepared to go against what everybody else on the grid had on. Only he and one of the rider set off that race on full slicks. It proved to be the right choice. Conditions came to him and he made the most of it. Uh, Good choice and uh, well ridden
1: what he had to say for himself scott redding
0: difficult conditions for everybody it's uh it's a big gamble it's not really racing as such in my opinion um this morning i lost out due to having the rain tire and got the victory now because i took the slick um i had to take that risk of course because i had to maximize what i could but it's great to come away for a for a win, finally, uh, for me and the team, it's been a difficult weekend for us. It wasn't smooth running, you know, some wrong decisions, the bike not working as good as we expected. So, I'm happy to get a win. We can put Aragon behind us, one of our worst tracks last year as well, um, and move on to better, better options.
1: Quick reminder: don't forget you can subscribe to the Full Throttle podcast. Many thanks for joining us since we started. Season four already now and episode ninety three. So Scott Redding there, yeah. As we said, relief they needed that, didn't they? Because they were absolutely. all looking very, very, very downcast. Yeah, on absolutely. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: he needed it. The team needed it, and the kind of bike needed it as well. You know, it certainly they walk away with a lot more confidence than what they would have had if he hadn't have made that decent tyre choice and. Championship, as far as uh, the team are looking and as far as uh, Scott is looking, he's still wide open. It's still very early. We're only one round in. Um, yeah, 17-point leading the championship for Jonathan Ray, but there's no way that uh, Decaye are giving up. It's been a long time since he's lifted that championship, mainly down the fact that Jonathan Ray's been dominant. But, yeah, there's still a lot of hope there to be had for, for Scott.
1: It's been a decade, hasn't it? Ten years since Carlos Checa won that title in 2011. That's too long for a manufacturer like Ducati, and they would admit that, of course. Feels to me as though, quite possibly, the biggest improvers in terms of a manufacturer are Yamaha, because Aragon was absolutely horrendous for Yamaha last year, and they've shown some great, great pace this weekend, with Toprak in particular.
2: Yeah, with Toprak in particular, and in the last race with Garrett Gerloff, I thought that Garrett had a a cracking ride, albeit after... uh, completely torpedoing Jonathan Rea, nearly knocking him off having uh, Garrett then to pick the bike up which he did really uh, efficiently and swiftly uh, got going again and still managed to uh, I think he could have ended up finishing did he end up in eighth but he could have finished sixth in the end it was a bit of a last lap sort out he was in the group for sixth anyway uh, so, yeah,
1: great for, for Gerloff. And he did get his podium in the sprint race, didn't he? Which he is did, easy yeah, for us so to forget for now. Him. We come off air and we
2: forget what's happened. Yeah, he got his season off to a, a good start. The Yamaha looks more efficient this year. Uh, from what I'm told, it's essentially the same homologated motorcycle, the R1. But with lots and lots of small tweaks, a lot of attention to detail and fixing small problems they had last year. There's nothing major, no redesign, no 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 sort of major setup changes or or component changes, but they've addressed a lot of smaller problems and that's made quite a big difference in the end.
1: It was great to see Garrett Gerloff go up to Jonathan in Park Fermi after the sprint race. He was there anyway as the top independent rider. And apologize. I personally think it's great to have someone like that. Great to see an American as well getting stuck in and at the front of the field. People will be asking, though, so I'm going to have to put this to you, James. Having been involved in the collision with the BMWs at Magna Corp last year and now Jonathan Ray on Sunday at Aragon, does he need to calm it down a bit?
2: It doesn't look out of control. The, the lad doesn't look like it's going to happen every single corner like we've seen some riders in the past. Uh, it's happened a couple of times. If I always say if you get knocked off... By a, another rider, one of your peers, you've got to take it on the chin and accept it and, and be kind of, you know, you've, gotta, you've just got to accept it. However, if it's happening every other weekend and it's the same rider who's doing it, then you've got to think that uh, there's something kind of wrong in his approach of riding. At the minute, no, I quite like off I think um, he's doing a good job. He's in a new championship. He's not done, albeit he's done a season, but he's not done a lot lot of riding with these guys. And uh, he'll find his feet, I think, a little bit. And he's found his feet at the front of a world championship. So, yeah, we like people who
1: try hard. Yeah, and we'll come back to a few of those isolated racing incidents again in a moment. Just to finish off the manufacturers, I'd like to leave BMW until the end. So let's do the fourth, which is Honda. Um, Quiet, I think is the word I'd use to describe their weekend.
2: Yeah, they've got a fast motorcycle. Uh, definitely made improvements. Their problem has been the the uh, test cap. The amount of testing they can do in terms of days, it's only ten, and they've had some already. Um, it's not enough to get through all the mountainer parts that Honda have produced to improve the bike, and therefore they might have the best kit available in the truck somewhere that's going to give them a leg up and get them up front um, in the races but they don't know it yet because they haven't had a chance to test it so that's going to handicap them Um, some uh, what's the word some kind of reason to to hope for better results coming they didn't have a bad meeting um, suffered with tyre choice a couple of times but they weren't completely off the pace were they?
1: No, they weren't. I'm just looking at the results for race one on Saturday. Leon Haslam was in eighth place with the SCX rear tyre and the new front tyre. And Bautista, of course, crashed in the, but he was in that leading group. At, well, sorry, not the leading group, the group for second yeah. on the last lap when he crashed with the same tyre combo. I think it's fantastic that all five of the manufacturers have been in the mix at some point across this weekend. And there's so much more to come, isn't there? Yeah, BMW is obviously one of them, Um It is amazing how people's opinions change so quickly. You know, just talking to various people from uh, within the paddock and a lot of people at the moment working outside the paddock because of the COVID scenario. But we've obviously been in touch with a lot of people on WhatsApp, on the phone and whatever, Twitter, across the weekend. BMW took a bit of a pounding from quite a lot of people on Saturday. And then Sunday, they're all up there. Laverty's had a few issues, so we won't include him at the moment. But certainly Folger, who went with a slick tyre like Reading did in race two, but Vandermark in particular and Tom Sykes, they were right up there fighting for the lead. Yeah, and even in race one,
2: Tom Sykes had a really good run in the last few laps. Yeah. He was putting uh, some of the fastest, uh, certainly his quickest laps in towards the end of race one uh, yesterday. And. Uh, some of the quickest slaps of the race right towards the end that's good uh, the bike looks a lot quicker this year they've made big changes to the cylinder head it's a lot more robust I think that'll give them more scope to tune the bike and still have it uh, 100% reliable which is really important to every team but it's very important to BMW they see their uh, their 40 as uh, the, the actual you know Excellence in in engine building, really. They're known for that, and they, the reliability is a big thing for them. I think the cylinder is going to give them scope to tune the bike with reliability. It certainly, look quicker. Uh, and in race two of the weekend, the second longer race, uh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, both for Van der Mark, who's- Honestly, he's had a terrible weekend. He's lost most of free practice, uh, been knocked about, smashed the bike in bits uh, when he lost it on the brakes. Had other problems coming through as well. Lost, like I said, laps and laps of track time and he still managed to pull something out of the bag and look really competitive being the, the group battling for second in in the, in race two. So good for him and good for Tom Sykes as well. Uh, lots of cause for optimism
1: for them. This is why bike racing so great, isn't it? Vandermark, or was he 15th, I think, on the grid? The bike was on top of that barrier on Friday afternoon. We were saying how terrible this is. He's lost all his practice time. What a nightmare to start. And it was a nightmare start to the weekend. Who on earth would have believed he'd be in the lead of the race? Yeah, on some probably day, just you know, him. ahead of Jonathan Actually, yeah. Ray and Co. So really, uh, I haven't seen the, the press
2: release yet, but it's going to be fairly giddy because uh, they, were, they were sort of making it sound really positive after race one and it wasn't as good. So yeah, I think a good weekend for, for
1: in the end for BMW. Yeah, optimism there. Back to, let's get the thoughts of Tom Sykes.
2: And in the meantime, out there at Aragon, we saw a really strong performance from Tom Sykes, and I'm really glad to say that he joins us now. I'm sure there's a big smile under under that mask there, Tom, because that was much more like it today, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, t- to be honest, you know, it's a, it's been a strange old day, and uh, I think it's fair to say we had a, 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 a slightly royal... Um, Mistake, shall we say, in the uh, in the sprint race, which which wasn't like wasn't like us, and uh, we got caught out there, and uh, certainly put us on the back foot for for the long race. But uh, luckily, we had a decent recovery. The guys went off, um, I went out on the sighting lap, and I thought, Do you know what? I fancy I go on slicks here, but considering what happened in uh, in the sprint race, I played it a little bit safer with the intermediates and the majority of the field. Uh, apart from Scott, he obviously had a big set today and he went for it. And <laughs> honestly, I think um, I think overall we I let the guys go because the uh, intermediates are really quite quite soft and the race came to me. So I was happy enough with that. Unfortunately, I got a little bit stuck behind Toprack. <laughs> He's uh, uh, Love your I always thought I was quite fruity on the brakes, but he's, uh, he's something else. So, top rack and then my teammates. So, I just lost a touch to the podium. But the main thing is, I think everybody's seen the improvement in the uh, engine performance. And if you screenshot where we were here last year to now, you know, in the gap to the front, it's uh, some improvement. So, uh, lots, to, lots, you know, has been learnt and looking forward to moving on.
1: Should we talk about track limits? Because you were a bit frustrated, weren't you, on Saturday? And I think a lot of people would agree with you for what happened at the end of Super Bowl with top right Yeah,
2: well, what happened is... Well, we all know that track limits are defined by the green portion of painted tarmac because all new modern circuits uh, don't have, uh, like you get at Cadwell, they don't have tarmac and then a white line about two inches wide and then grass. That Obviously, there's a... There's, you go on the grass, you're going to crash. There's no grip, uh, no grip. so it, that's almost self-regulating. <laughs>
1: Grab's a good word, by the
2: Grap. way. Uh, grass at the side of the track is self-regulating. You don't want to go onto it, therefore you make efforts not to do. If you do, you're punished anyway. Uh, Modern-day circuits like to be set up, especially for cars, where there's big, huge chunks, swathes of tarmac on the outside of the track. So if a car spins off, it doesn't get stuck... On the in the gravel and, and you know, you, you lose a car out of the race and therefore make it not an exciting race. So, for bikes, it means you can run wide and on, especially the lower powder bikes, you can run off the track, still keep the grip because it's still tarmac, even though it's painted, and gain an advantage. So, what they say now is if you run off the track, you can be penalised. If you run onto the in which is the, the painted yellow and red, in this case, at Aragon section, uh, you're not penalised. If you run across that, onto the green, painted, tarmac, Outside the track, yes, you're penalised. But actually, there should be some kind of uh, common sense um, kind of put to that because Sofoglu, uh, sorry, uh, Oglu was going to finish. He was on for a second row start, uh, which would have given him a lot better chance, and in my opinion, the, the best chance of anybody of going and racing with Jonathan Ray and making exciting for us. He ran onto the straight and actually just clipped onto the green on the left hand side on the straight when he was when there was nothing to gain, and yet they still docked him at four positions on the green and put him back to put him back to a row. So, 10th, it was, yeah, yeah. So, I he, mean, do you think
1: he did even gain anything? Because somebody he didn't was, gain anything. Like I was I'm told, I'm sure I heard it he should have been, I think it was even at the discretion slower in that of that the organizers to say, yeah. Do you know
2: what? He didn't gain anything, we're gonna, we're gonna cost ourselves, chance of an exciting race. Here. But, you know, if they sticking to the rules, rules are rules and everybody knows it. So you're, they're in the right, really. But, you know.
1: Yeah, I like the fact. I do like the fact that race direction is very, very much separate from the commercial interests of the championship in the sense yeah. that, you know, they are not going to say there's a bit of a vested interest there or anything like that. But at the same time, they do want a good show, don't they? And, and it's not even like he gained an advantage by doing that.
2: The fact is there's got to be some arbitrary aspect of it because, especially in the Super Sports 300 race... There's lots of people in that class use the green part of uh, the tarmac and therefore exceed track limits, sometimes to gain advantage. But a lot of times it's because they can't see who's in front of them. They can't see where the track is they're in a pack of 10 people. Yeah, oh, they've been pushed all off. Vying for each other. They're all banging handlebars. So there has to be an arbitrary kind of element to it. Because if you get punted out onto the, the green portion of the track and the alternative was to lock handlebars and have two riders crash, well, the the, the organisers don't penalise in that in that instance. So. You know, I think it was a bit harsh on uh, on top track, yeah.
1: Well, uh, Shaky and James Hayden certainly gave their opinions on track limits as well. Let's have a listen. It was quite amusing actually, as they were chatting with Matt in the studio.
0: Yeah, in the old days, you might have had grass there, and you wouldn't have touched it, or you, yeah, you see guys kicking up dirt. They could put astroturf there and stop people going on it. But they've extended the tracks now for these extra bits. But it's not like you're seeing guys go miles off track. You're seeing little infringements that then are getting penalized so hard they ruin the race and they ruin qualifying. And I just, the, the line's the line. And very rarely, it's not like you're seeing people take these massive sweeping arcs going off track to come back on. It's not happening. You're seeing people mm. maybe nab a bit of that much. And if everyone's doing it, what does it matter? I don't see what the what yeah. the big deal is it.
1: James, yeah, Hayden's never like track limits or anything like that. No,
2: but what, I mean, what do you do? There's got to be, there's got to be some limit we know these tracks don't have grass outside the outside the tarmac that's obviously self-penalising and if you didn't have uh, any kind of track limit and you could run onto the tarmac that they had at the side of the track well especially in that Supersport 300 class they would be 20 or 30 40 feet
1: off the actual track and it'd be chaos so I suppose another thing you could say is okay that green stuff's there for safety but on the other hand is that an, an ironic thing considering they're racing motorcycles and it's quite dangerous anyway
2: yeah, but you've got to make it as safe as you can. And the fact is that the tracks, for whatever reason, whether it be for the benefit of the cars that have to race on the same circuit, there is
1: tarmac off the track, off the side of the track. I suppose you've got to be realistic as well. You know, it comes down to money as well. You can't have bike-specific tracks and car-specific tracks. You know, these venues have to be able to cater for both, don't they? That's why there's that FIM slash FIA double curb that exists as well. It's a sort of compromise curb. Uh, let's talk about Tito Rabat. He's a big name. He's coming, across from MotoGP. Ex-Motor 2 world champion. There's, you have to think and, and hope there's more to come from Tito about. I can't say I'm surprised that it's been a difficult start, though. It often does happen. Some Grand Prix riders come in and make a huge impression. It's been difficult for Tito all across testing, hasn't it, really?
2: Yes, yeah, coming back from a massive injury uh, in MotoGP, but albeit that he's ridden MotoGP already to get his eye
1: in. He's done quite a bit of testing on the superbike. So um... he, he had a problem, to be fair, didn't he, in the Saturday race. It broke down. Uh, crashed crashed as well on Sunday yeah
2: but uh, to be honest I expected more I think he needs to produce more I think he'd agree with me in that Um, and yeah there's a lot of differences between this a super bike and a MotoGP bike he's complained about uh, getting the bike stopped uh, and one of the biggest differences there's a lot of differences they're all big but the brakes are a big difference between MotoGP and, uh, and World Superbike. World Superbike have to run steel uh, brake discs, or so steel brakes is what they're called. Uh, MotoGP can run carbon, so carbon discs on pa- carbon pads. The difference is the carbon pads um, and carbon discs are a lot lighter, less unsprung weight, uh, helps the bike turn a little bit, but also the hotter the carbon fibre brakes get, the more they work, and it's quite the opposite. It's conversely uh, with the steel brakes, the hotter they get, the more they fade, so
1: Another quick yes-no-one, if you can, and then we'll elaborate. Uh, two-part question. Number one, when it was announced, did you think Ciccati had made the right decision to swap Chas Davis and Michael Rinaldi? No, because I like Chas Davis. And I and, think he had more... He finished and you you still in the, the think championship in one round. Yeah, so. and you still agree with that now, I guess. Yes. So. so, what do you make of what Rinaldi's done this weekend? It's been quiet as well, hasn't he's
2: it? He's been quiet, uh, he's looked quiet, and I think... Um, It's difficult to say, you know, we're we're at sort of arm's length to all of this, and and we're sort of speculating, but to me, when you get hired to race for a factory team, number one, you never seem to have any excuses. You can't have any excuses. You've got a factory team, you've got the best equipment available, and therefore you have to perform. So that is a certain pressure. Some riders cope well with it, some don't, and I'm just wondering whether... Michael Ruben Rinaldi is feeling the pressure a little bit. I hope he isn't. He's a, he's a nice bloke, um, but he's been
1: quiet this weekend. And in Sunday's race too, Chaz Davis actually set the fastest lap, didn't he? And then crashed he could have been right up there in that fight at the front as well no he, he crashed and then set the fastest lap oh it was the other way around of course it was yeah, yeah, he, yeah sorry he, he crashed yeah, on he wet then pitied, changed to slicks yeah. came in swapped to slicks That's and it. got back out again and so actually even then he didn't might score have, points so yeah so he wouldn't have gone off with redding at the front would he because had he not crashed he wouldn't have been on slicks he would have still been on wet on Yeah. Wet's, yeah. Have yeah. so uh, okay well it just shows how important tyres are once again doesn't it completely What about the depth of the Superbike field now, James? Because that's something World Superbike's taken a lot of stick for in the last five, six years, perhaps. It's really there, though, isn't it, now this year? I think it is, yeah. Fantastic riders on brilliant motorcycles, wonderful teams. You know, mistakes are going to be very, very heavily punished.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you've got to look at the... As the race is going on, we we get the benefit of looking at a really complicated, about what am I saying, comprehensive timing screen. Yeah. gives you sector times, times between each rider, fastest lap, fastest speeds, everything. And, for example, in race one of the weekend yesterday... Leon Aslan was putting some cracking laps in. He was lying about, what were sixth or seventh? And he was lapping as quick as anybody else in the race. I mean, fair enough, Jonathan Ray was three seconds up the road and could afford more than three seconds up the road and could afford not to be going as quick as he was able to go. But still, you look and you think, you know, there's there's probably a couple of three seconds covering, you know, second to, to
1: eighth or ninth, and that's that's quite close racing. So is all this then, perhaps because Jonathan Ray has a better understanding of the fact you do need to start at the front, you do need to make a good start to get three seconds up the road, because otherwise he might not be able to do that? Correct. So why can no one else do that then? Because I know it's easy for me to say this, but
2: It's but so why? easy sat there as a non-motorcycle racer yeah, 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 to say yeah, that, course, Greg. Course, There's yeah. so many aspects to it. You've got to get a bike that works on different kinds of circuits. The team's got to work for you. And you've got to make some inspired choices. And Jonathan Raker do it every single weekend. When was the last time he made a bad tyre choice? Even if that tyre choice meant that at the end of the race it was two seconds slower than most of the people. When at the beginning of the race he knew he had to go out and nail it and use the best of that treaded tyre for example and get up the road because he'd slip back later on. He just makes all the right
1: decisions and consistently and year in, year out he keeps doing it. And it's not all just because of age is it? Because... Yes, top rack's younger and far less experienced. The same goes for somebody like Michael Rinaldi or Garrett Gerloff. But there's plenty of riders around Jonathan's age as well with the same or some very similar or perhaps even a little bit more experience. So it's not even just that, is it? It's
2: everything. It's experience. It's, it's skill. It's having a team around you that, that knows how to treat you and what to give you. Um,
1: it's having talent, in not it? He's <laughs> certainly got bucket balls of that. Right, last fittings from us then. OK, so we go to Estoril this coming weekend, back-to-back rounds to start the season, James. We should quickly to actually touch on the uh, Supersport class. The Supersport 300, Tom Booth Amos, leads the championship. Great weekend.
2: Yeah, great weekend for Tom Booth Amos. Uh, he's a good lad. Um, he, for the last couple of years, he has been one of the consistently quickest men in the Supersport 300 class. However, it's such a close class. There's other good riders in it. The bikes are all absolutely dead even for the most part. It's really easy to get involved in accidents, to get punted, to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, to get shoved off the track. And this happens not just to Tombo Booth Amos, it happens to everybody. So, for example, Jeffrey Bruce, the, the Dutchman, great little rider, won here twice, uh, three ta- uh, twice last year. Three times. Three, three times, Three right. out of four, yeah. Right. Uh, and was up front uh, in the second race of this weekend, ends up getting punted off the track and <laughs> yes. dropping back to eighth or ninth. The twelfth uh, he was. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that can easily happen and it can happen to anybody. What I would say is Tom Booth Amos does try and work it out. It's a difficult race to try and plan because you don't know where you're going to be in relation to everywhere everybody else. But it's
1: so true though, because every time he gets pushed back to second, he, he never likes to be any lower than second, does he? He doesn't. He comes straight back to what he wanted was to get the distance of the slipstream
2: yeah. which, probably 20 metres in front and then go away at the front. Couldn't do that. Realised they didn't want to lead it going on to the back straight on the last lap because that'd give three or four people behind him, maybe more, the chance to slipstream him and therefore he wouldn't win. So he knew he needed to be second or third onto that back straight. He engineered that really yeah, well, which is yeah. very difficult. Tried to let Wertas, Adrian exactly. Wertas, pass. he wouldn't passed. have it. He, he knew that. He, he knew he didn't want to
1: lead. And he won the first race, of course, yeah. on Saturday. So
2: for me, Tom there must did everything right. He went across the line uh, in second, which was a good result. This is in the second race of the weekend, uh, and then was uh, promoted to the win because your leader or winner, Aradre, uh, had, had exceeded track limits, which... A rad rate for, in it to his credit, he knew he'd exceeded track limits yeah. and kind of accepted it with good yeah. grace. So, yeah. uh, good good weekend for Tom Booth, Amos. That's not to say that he's not going to be up front the whole of the next race, which is at Emil, because he don't go to Hill, and then ended up you know, fifth and eighth because that can happen in this class it's not an easy championship to win even if you are the quickest rider
1: yeah Mazzano, isn't it not Imola I knew it was Italy great place as well uh, shame we're not at Imola actually this year incidentally uh, yeah, I would say that um, win for TBA was probably in the top three, certainly top five, of smartest, most calculated Super Sport 300 wins so far. Yes, I would the, say it over the five. And, yeah. and there's
2: other smart riders that's benefited from it. Anna Carrasco ended up uh, pretty much wiggling and, and, and cajoling her way through to fifth. Good result for her. She had yeah, a lot of people to pass, didn't make good starts. Right. She always tends to be at the right place at the right time. So, yeah, good for her. And other riders are good at it. Jeff Weiss normally is really good at it. It didn't work for him this week and ended up getting punted back to, what was it, 12th?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah that was coming yeah. up the hill, wasn't it, on the last lap? Yep. The chequered corner. And yeah, well done to Adrian Huertas as well, the Spaniard, who went on Saturday and then finished third on Sunday. So um, he's what, second in the championship. One thing I would say
2: about that uh, Super Sport 300 class, I'd like to see riders moving on it. It seems there's no clear path through to whatever they're going to do next. It, it's, it's a big step from a 50-horsepower steel-framed, n- n- Bike that's not really designed to be on a racetrack, and that's in all the case, not just Kawasaki, that's Yamaha, that's all of them. Um, and it's a great championship in terms of uh, excitement for us. But where they're going to go after this championship? Most of the people who've won that championship are still in that championship, and that's not what was intended in the
1: first they're all still in it aren't they apart from one Mark Garcia is still yeah. there he'd gone and come back Mark Garcia Carrasco is still there Yeah, Manu Gonzalez has gone up to Supersport 600 and and, and, and been a front and as well so yeah reigning champion you know,
2: uh, one of the lads who won it uh, was Scott Derue he's not even racing anymore so it's uh, you know he, 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 he seems a bit of a sort of um, what's the word dead end road really but I don't want to say
1: that, but... And then Mickey Perez, who was one of the front runners the first few seasons, I was chatting with him the other day. He's not in it now. That's all to do with money. So he's offering the um, the CEV Stock 600 class, I think it is. So, yeah. yeah, we'll have to see what happens with that one. Well, what are they going to do then? There's no Stock 1000 anymore in World Superbike. No Stock 600. You know, tricky one. I don't know what the answer is. I've not thought about it, but it
2: just seems to me that, that it is a little bit of a... I mean, is it so wrong to be a... a, a you know, specialists in the smaller classes. You get people like Angel Nato that, that won uh well 13 world championships. He used to say 12 plus one because he was superstitious. But you know, he he tried 250s, he even had to go on a 500 a couple of times and was all right on him, but he specialised in the smaller classes. the won two fives and the fifties. So and other people did that, you know, Ricardo Tomo, Stefan Dorflinger. Uh is there anything wrong with that? There's, there's always we look on the smaller classes now as holy feeder classes for the major classes, but there's something to be said for a, especially in a smaller bike class, maybe, I don't know. Well, they are
1: certainly world championships, aren't they? Yeah, as you say, you know, we've had 50cc, 80cc, 125s, 250s, MotoGP, and then yep. here you've got Sport 300, 600, Superbike. They are all world championship categories. Correct. But we look down on the smaller classes now just
2: because we see them all as feeder classes.
1: I think feeder classes actually—it's a course, good. Please, an envelope. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one actually. Because you look at feeder classes now, and you think of things like the CV Moto Three Chan- Championship, the Moto Three Junior World Championship, Red Bull Rookies, Moto yeah, GP.
2: It's all engineered to sort of shove people towards the bigger classes, which you know maybe we want that, or maybe we don't. Maybe we the, there's there's room for you know a class where you want to specialise in it and, and dominate that. Fine. And That's you, how it used to be, and it used yeah, to work.
1: Yeah, and then there's a load of support classes at all the national championships around the world as well, of course. Talking of World Super Sport, then this weekend uh, we can't not talk about Joku's L, can we? Um Unbelievable mixture of emotions, good and bad. But complete let's... roller coaster. Cool. Just Saturday. Let's talk about Saturday.
2: Saturday, uh, it's been, it's been uh, pretty much quickest most of the weekend. Uh, got off in the lead of Super Sport Race One, uh, pulled away a little bit. Uh, another man who was having a great weekend to that point. In fact, a qualified pole in the end. I think was. Um no, Clues Elvis Paul. Second, but who had been quickest, uh, was Nicky Toole, the finish rider on the MV. The only rider in the field on the MV. He was making it really work for him. He's a really good kid. We are really pleased to see him on the front row. He came through the pack in race one of the Supersports and, and started taking it uh, to Jules Tozel. Uh, it was clearly going to be them two for the rest of the race pushing at the front. He tried to get the inside down into the really fast, coming off the big left-hander of 10 into 11, tried to go up the inside. Clazelle didn't see him, shut the door inadvertently because he hadn't seen him. Uh, he couldn't back out the move, couldn't Nicky Tuller. Clip the back end of Clazelle. They both went down in a big old pile of poop. Uh, Nicky Tuller was knocked out. Uh, Clazelle, to be fair to him, was upset at first, but went over when he saw that Nicky was um, was injured and, and like any rider would, and especially rider with his... Um, he's, he's a lovely lad and, and he's, a, he's a fellow rider. You, you, you don't want to see people getting hurt. Luckily, Cooly wasn't. Uh, he was knocked out, and he's going to miss the next round. But um, Cluzel just desperately unlucky yet again. A big crash, robbing him of points, and maybe may costing the championship at the end of the year. You don't, we don't know. Um, when it wasn't his fault, uh, however, uh, Supersport two uh, in in damp and difficult conditions uh, today. I mean, just how good was was Clazel. He got through it. <laughs> Tire pressures were checked on the line. He was found to be under the minimum limit. They only checked three people uh, on the Stein line. He was. Uh, under slightly a m- minuscule amount under the the minimum tire pressure, he was made therefore to start from the back row. He did force his way through to the lead. Uh, the conditions helped a little bit; they were sketching, a bit damp, uh, and ended up finishing third, which was just a cracking result for Jules. Really pleased for uh, Steve uh, Odendahl, the South African on the M Brothers bike. He had a cracking weekend. Uh, but you've got to feel happy a little bit that Clazelle salvage something.
1: Still quite clear as well, not taking anything away from Odendal because it was phenomenal what he did. It's his second season now, but that bike does still have a very handy straight line speed advantage, doesn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah, he seems to have a little bit of an advantage. You can't really take anything away from Stephen Good Oven- He's a good kid, always got a smile on his face. Yeah, really, really nice. He leads the championship. Yeah, really but nice guy. Yeah. The bike is good and the team's good. And there's not a lot you can do in terms of you know, major tuning changes to to a super sport bike. It's a fairly, uh, it's a fairly strict set of regulations that all these guys ride for uh, or, or tune to and, and race with. But the team, it, the team's attention to detail uh, that Evan Brothers uh, team is uncanny. They, you know, the, the, Things like measuring the Conrods. You can only use standard Conrods, but they get a lot of Conrods, measure them, get the ones that's balanced, that do set upset the engine in terms of balance, therefore produce slightly more power. And everything's done just right. And it's lots of tiny little
1: uh, kind of moves like that that give them a slight advantage. Can other teams, sounds, I mean, it seems a bit ridiculous and obvious to say this, but can other teams not try and copy that approach then and do that yeah, too? Yeah, they can,
2: but I mean, it, 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 they're, just, they're just good at it. Mm, uh, yeah. And there's not a massive difference, but there's a difference. Yeah, and I suppose
1: you just add all those little differences together around the lap and, you know, the straights. At the end of the whatever. day, you still got to ride the bike and, and o- Odendale did that. All right, so Estoril this weekend, Do you think that's going to be a good one for Yamaha? I mean, Top rack was very good at Estoril last year, wasn't he, back in October? Two yeah, races wasn't. out of three he won. Yeah. Um, it's exciting, though, because we don't know what's going to happen and that was not a great track for Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki. It was good, but it wasn't great. No, and uh, th- th- there is no
2: bad track for Jonathan Ray, but, Some tracks are not as good as others, and it Mm. would appear that Estoril's one of the ones that... But, hey, there's no telling they're not going to arrive there with a new bike, you know, work the way they always work, and he worked the the way he always works, and they're going to end up with the best bike, with the best rider. So you you never, ever... Well, not that we're writing him off, but you never, ever write Jonathan Ray off. There's no no
1: telling he might come out the gates at Estoril uh, swinging again. Um, The thing is, it just feels, though, doesn't it, for everyone else, that... um... Can't necessarily just win the championship. You almost need Karasaki to lose the championship.
2: Yeah, there's a little bit. Of, yeah, you I need mean,
1: some problems or mistakes. a or, little bit of a feeling. Always of feels that, a bit like yeah. that, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. We'll see. It's going to be fascinating. Can't wait. Uh, Friday morning, then we'll be live again on Eurosport Television and the Eurosport app. Uh, quick trip home for us then, and then we're back underway again, aren't we? You've got anything on this week? Anything interesting?
2: Uh, yeah, I got a track day on Tuesday. One of my track training days at Mallory Park. Uh, it's sold out. Hoping for a bit of good weather. Uh, I'll be up there with uh, Lee Johnston, Dean Harrison. I think we've got uh, Dan Limfoot there instructing and others. I think. Well, anyway, we've, we've got a bunch of BS being Is this not your
1: first one back? Is it, or is it? No, no.
2: We've had some. We've had some back. Yeah, since since lockdown. Yeah, we're allowed to run now. If you're going to socially distance, no better way of doing it than having a helmet on, going around <laughs> a racetrack on your own bike, away from everybody else. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to that, and uh, then looking forward to seeing you again, Greg.
1: Oh, there's no sarcasm there at there's all, is there? All, and thank you for buying my sandwich at lunchtime, by the way. It was actually uh, what was it? Chicken in mayo sort of thing, wasn't it? Very I know nice you're indeed. watching your weight so I thought I'd get you a chicken I'm not actually well I am I, I am and I'm not but uh, yeah actually as a motorcycle racer and athlete yourself what would you do for losing weight any, any stop tips stop eating mate I can't just not eat though can I as much <laughs> <laughs> but I love Cadbury's dairy milk on that bombshell we'll see you on Friday for Estoril Free Practice James thanks and actually jokes aside I've got to say it was a pleasure to be back in yeah, I have missed you